It's our podcast, and it's podcasting time. What time is it? It's podcast time. All right. All right, everyone. Hello, I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award scandal. It's a scandal. It's uh, it's a party. It's uh, people trying to find themselves in the midst of uh, betrayal and romance. Yeah, it's a, it's a dramatic one this week. It is. It's very it's very dramatic. All right. So what we're doing here is we're watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards. And this week is 013, The Divorcee. The Divorcee by uh, directed by Robert C. Leonard, I think, who I have heard of before. But I think this might be the first movie of his I've seen. Oh, excellent. And I think it, it's very fitting that we have unlucky number 13 episode for The Divorcee. Yeah, yeah. Um they, the characters in and of themselves, I feel like, are very lucky overall. They just they just make some decisions that aren't spot on. Yeah, they certainly don't feel lucky. They don't feel lucky, but I did remark out loud while we were watching, gosh, I wish I could have these people's problems. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> for sure. Okay. Uh, so what we do on this podcast is that we first kind of review the plot of the movie and kind of like discuss it as we go along, just so you guys can follow along a little bit without necessarily having watched the movie. You should, though, if you can. Yes, you should do the homework. Yeah, come on. <laughs> just kidding. You'll you'll be able to follow along, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and after we have discussed the plot, we go into rating the movie based off of categories, categories like acting, writing, cinematography, and overall. And after we've given those points uh, on a scale of one to 10, we give out some bonus points. So movies can like, you know, pick up some points for costumes and set and uh, technical sort of things like that. Yeah. Technical is new to uh, the last to last year and this year because uh, they're talkies. So we need mm-hmm. to grade on that aspect. All right. I'm going to pause right here. <laughs> Okay, and we are back with a uh, decollared dog, so they can't jingle and jangle around. And I just made a brilliant joke about how you could tell this is a pre-code picture because the dogs are naked without their collars. <laughs> this is pre-code. <laughs> oh, gosh. And this movie is definitely pre-code. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, they're talking about divorce. Divorce, and we'll get to it. I'm jumping ahead. There is a sex scene that's implied. That is, yeah, that's heavily implied. They, uh, well, we'll get into it. We'll get, we'll into, get it. into it. Should we jump? Let's start off right away. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So based off of Ursula Parrott's novel, The Ex-Wife, the divorcee begins at a hunting lodge full of affluent white ding-dongs yeah. dancing and eating their lives away. Two of these guests are Ted and Jerry, played by Chester Morris, who we have met before in The Alibi. That's right. And Norma Shear, who is new to us. And, you know, yeah. Um New to us, not really new uh, with audiences at the time. She had kind of gotten her start in silent movies as in more kind of demure parts. Uh, but she was married to MGM honcho uh, Irving Thalberg, and she was determined to play the role of Jerry, uh, who was definitely 
I mean, I don't, wouldn't call her a femme fatale, but she's definitely more of a femme fatale probably than what Shearer was used to playing, more wholesome yeah. characters. So she did a whole photo shoot of her uh, in like slinky gowns looking, you know, all bedroom-eyed. And that may be combined with the fact that Irving Thalberg wanted to, to please his wife. She got the yeah. role. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Uh, so they play... so. Chester Morris and Norma Shearer play Ted and Jerry and Jerry is a career driven gal and she's convinced she's met her equal and her soulmate in the understanding Ted. And uh, at this party, they announce to the rest of the folks that their decision is to get married. And I love how there's no context for this party. I mean, this really is just a group of rich white people wasting their time in a hunting lodge. Um, And uh yeah, no real context for them. I mean, I guess they're all a bunch of lawyers, even Jerry, which is cool. And mm. I think it's important here is, you know, women didn't get suffrage in this country across the country until 1920, which is what, like just 10 years before this. Right. And so now we have Norma Shearer as playing a character named Jerry, who's career driven. So I think Hollywood was trying to reconcile the image of the new woman mm. in this, which I find interesting. And yeah. her insistence that this be a marriage of equals and that she has a man's point of view, as Ted points out. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Um, that's one of her selling points, I guess, is that she has a, quote, man's point of view, which they don't really get that much into. Aside no, from the fact that yeah. she's just kind of a modern woman. It's telling more than showing. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Oh, and I just recalled one little bit about this hunting lodge party. We see... Ted and Jerry for the first time making out under a tree. There's a lot of makeouts. So there are a lot is, of makeouts. This is a very makeout heavy movie. It's definitely pre-code. Oh yes. And when uh when they kind of propose marriage to each other. Almost, yeah, that's true. He says, Yeah, I'm gonna save up and then I'm gonna marry you. And she says, like, well, why don't we just get married now? And there's a little moment of pause, whether they're going to actually go through with it. And this random kid jumps out from behind the tree they've been sitting next to and says, like, by golly, say yes. Yeah, it's a cutesy it, moment, but it's all, it also kind of works. Oh, yeah, it was it was adorable. But I also like to imagine, like, who, who is that child? <laughs> just a who feral, does this child belong to? Just a feral child that lives off the scraps of rich people who go to the hunting lodge and, like, leave their shit behind. It's actually pretty tragic when you think about it. I mean, you know, the depression's going on. Some homeless kid who's just, you know, hanging out like a puppy outside the hunting lodge. There's a whole (laughs) lot of grim stuff you can read into this. Yeah, there certainly is. And I keep forgetting that this is, we are just post the crash. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting that a lot of these movies now are showing very upbeat, very affluent that really seems to be the main philosophy of movies back then. I mean, these days there is a lot of, I think, well-earned resentment towards uh, depictions of really rich, affluent people. It's very removed from the reality of like Americans and people worldwide today. Back then, I guess more people didn't mind seeing it and actually wanted to see it because they wanted to get lost in that world because they still felt that was something they should aspire to. Right. Uh, the American dream was still pretty fresh in people's minds, I guess. But yeah, you get a lot of just rich people and big, bright, happy musicals in the 30s to take people's minds off that little thing going on called the Depression. Yeah. And this is definitely 
So definitely a story about the wealthy. God, yes. <laughs> okay, so speaking about the miseries of the wealthy, one person who's not thrilled by the news of Ted and Jerry's engagement is Conrad Nagel's Paul, who has loved Jerry since he was a little kid is kind of the impression or just a, for years, a long time. For a long time, yeah. Yeah, he... he Portrays it as having loved her forever. Yeah, it's kind of like an alibi with uh, Chester Morris and uh, his rival in that movie, too, has oh, loved that's the girl right. for, since they were kids. Interesting parallel. That really has no connection to anything. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Paul is not that engaging of a character, you I could, have to admit. You could definitely see why Jerry would choose Ted over someone like him. Uh you know, Chester Morris, I find him a lot more likable here than I did in Alibi because I just don't think his character was particularly well fleshed out in Alibi. Whereas here we get to see more of his spark and his fun. And uh, whereas Nagel, man, he does not light up the screen for me at all. No, it's very, very subdued, which I mean, I can understand. I, I think what they were trying to present was someone in contrast. To yeah, Ted exactly. And Ted's kind of passionate vibrancy and all of that stuff. And how me. it matches Jerry's. Whereas. Right. You can't really imagine a big bursting, passionate romance with someone like Paul. No, not really. I mean, it it seemed convincing that he really liked her and everything like that, but it was yeah. not very demonstrative no 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 let's see let's cover there's a lot of characters there so. are yeah kind of thrown at us all at once let me try to review this again ted and jerry they are engaged now they're engaged they're both a couple of uh energetic go-getters paul who's in love with jerry is sad about this and now introducing another character dorothy played by helen johnson is in turn madly in love with Paul. And her way of consoling him is to give him a drink to get his mind off of things. Which is great. You know what? That is the way to, to win someone's heart. Oh, you sad? Here's a drink. <laughs> uh, yeah, and since we're in a wealthy hunting lodge, there are drinks aplenty. There are drinks aplenty, and she provides. Um, fortunately, Paul takes this too much to heart and proceeds to get hammered. Much of the consternation of Dorothy's sister and Jerry's father, whom Paul is driving home along with Dorothy. And correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there like 18 other people involved on the screen that is so hard to keep track of? Oh, yeah. I mean, quite frankly, and I said this to you during this movie and I think Alibi, all these white dudes are really hard to tell apart, especially when they're all grouped <laughs> together like this. I mean, the women at least have more starkly different colored hair and dresses, whereas all the guys are in similar suits with similar hairstyles. Good good in uniform. Yeah, good in uniform. And uh, yeah, and everyone is basically leaving at once. Um, I think Dorothy's dad, who we never really see again after all this yeah i don't think I don't, so I, I just wonder if there was more of a plot for him that just kind of got scrapped later on uh he and uh dorothy's sister who i guess is his wife we don't really know so they're all on their way and a lot of people are like paul probably you shouldn't drive you're wasted mm -hmm. and he's like that's ah, fine and uh you know good foreshadowing foreshadowing and you know good for the early 30s being on the ball about that don't drink while drive especially down really intense uh winding hunt hunting lodge roads in the middle of the night don't do right. it 
and these cars are not not the one that Paul's driving, but the one behind it. I remember thinking that car must be huge because oh, there's like so many back then. They were so beasts. many people were piling into that car. <laughs> it was basically a clown car full of rich clowns, <laughs> rich drunk clowns. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And as Paul is winding down the road, driving while drunk, they apparently had not mastered the concept of a moving background very oh, well yeah. for driving it no and it was all against backdrops i'm pretty sure like primitive grade screens pretty much I, i'm i'm sure it was because the way that the background was moving looked like he wasn't driving a car so much as sailing a boat yeah i mean it's cool it was a cool and disoriented shot and maybe kind of captures what someone in paul's position might see trying oh, to drive down that, that but maybe. but also it probably does just come down to the fact they hadn't figured out how to incorporate scenery and cars oh well they'll get it someday they'll get it someday the, it reminded me a lot of a north by northwest's uh scene where carrie grant has been force-fed booze and is set on the road it's very oh, similar i wonder if it yeah. inspired it in any way i don't know so paul is driving home along with dorothy and very predictably Paul spins them off the road and turns the car upside down. Luckily, nobody is killed, but Dorothy is disfigured. And Paul gets quite the earful from her sister, too, who first off demands that his, her sister is dead. Well, here's the thing. I you don't at least I didn't pick up on the fact that Dorothy was disfigured until they actually say it much later in the movie. Right. Uh, Cause I guess they didn't want to actually make up the actress to look disfigured. So she's lying there. You can't really see her face, but what of it you can see, she just looks like she's asleep, but the sister does say, Oh, I wish she she had died. I wish she had died. And you're thinking, why is she saying that? Like, is she just hysterical? But then when you find out later that she's supposed to be disfigured, I guess it's her way of saying, you know, I'd rather she be dead than disfigured. Which is also right. not great, but at least, you know, yeah, yeah. vain, obsessed, like looks obsessed, rich people. It's understandable they might say that. I'd rather be dead than ugly. Basically, basically. I mean, and you can't really blame women back then when they were told repeatedly that was their main attribute to bring to the table. They might just panic when disfigured. I would probably panic if disfigured because I am also a victim of the patriarchy. As are all women. <laughs> But anywho, enough bitterness. Okay, so out of guilt, Paul marries Dorothy at roughly the same time that Jerry and Ted marry, which I also thought was bizarre because it sounded like Dorothy's sister absolutely loathed him now because he was responsible for almost killing Dorothy. Yeah, it was probably, yeah. for disfiguring her. And I hadn't really picked up that she was that into Paul. I thought she was just being nice. I mean, <laughs> she got him all those drinks. Again, I think, you know, the chief crime of the movie is telling rather than showing. Um, you know, there's so much is happening in the opening hunting lodge scene that it's hard to like establish chemistry between characters like other than Jerry and Ted, who are actually given their own scene. Dorothy and Paul really aren't. It's uh, yeah, they aren't. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, after the hysterics, Dorothy's sister's like, hey, look, no one's going to want to marry my ugly sister now. So you better do it because you're the one who made her ugly. Probably uh, not not a good foundation for a relationship. No. And it's honestly the more interesting story <laughs> that Jerry and Ted's who we focus on. But, you know, say lovey. It's not an uninteresting story, but right. 
So after the two couples get married, separate from each other, it's not not like a conjoined no, wedding. No, Jerry or and Ted get their nice church wedding, but Paul and Dorothy end up getting married in the hospital room. Yeah. Pretty bleak, but a good comparison. Yeah, it was it was nicely shot that good way. Good contrast. Okay, so after that, we're taken three years into the future, the night of Ted and Jerry's wedding anniversary. Although Ted is leaving for a business trip that night, uh, he and Jerry are all lovey-dovey and of good cheer, kind of like what we've seen from them before. Mm -hmm. A lot of making out. Uh, So they're of good cheer, that is, until their friends come by and have a surprise guest with them. Uh, One of their number is a slinky lady called Janice, played by Mary Doran. She and Ted had a drunken one-night stand, which Ted confesses to Jerry when she catches Janice trying to reignite things with her husband in the kitchen. Yep. And uh, Ted repeatedly assures Jerry that the fling meant nothing to him. But Jerry is understandably distraught. After he leaves for Chicago, she leaves for a night on the town with his best friend Don, played amusingly by Robert Montgomery, who I really do love in the role. He does a great job in the role, and what's creepy is... We first of all learn that he knew that Janice and Ted had had a a fling had had a fling, and yet he did nothing to stop Janice from coming over. Right, and apparently all their friends know and just thought nothing of bringing Janice over, which means the friends are all a bunch of jerks, really. Yeah, pretty much. And speaking of being a jerk friend, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don flat out tells Ted. As a as a joke, I guess that it's like, oh, don't worry. While you're on your business trip, I'll take care of Jerry as as I do, you know, all these other wives that I know. Wink, wink. They have a good laugh. Yeah. But then guess what? She decides to take some drunken revenge of her own and spends the night with Don as portrayed by the closed curtain of her bedroom and the dimming light. And that is the implied sex scene I talked about. It's very uh, pretty explicit for its time, I have to say. Uh, All the uh, Hayes Code people, I'm sure, were clutching at their pearls at the side of this and knew they had to do something about this rampant obscenity. Which was kind of... Part of it was sad because in their marriage room, we see them having separate beds as per Hayes Code. Yeah, I mean, this was even slightly before Hayes Code. So it's not like Hollywood was really being that explicit even then. (laughs) I know it was. So you get the like implied sex scene between her and Don. And at the same time, whenever you see her with with her actual husband, it's with the Bert and Ernie beds in the background. Yep. It's very romantic, I guess. I don't know. Sure. 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 So Ted, who's been sending her anxious wires all week, arrives home. And even though Don calls and begs her not to do it, Jerry confesses that she's, quote, balanced our accounts, unquote, to Ted. He picks up the hit and realizes what's happened. Luckily for the panicky Don, who flees to Europe, she does not tell dad, Ted who the man is. But despite all of Ted's talk about infidelity not meaning a thing or being a big deal when it came to his indiscretion, he blows up at her mm-hmm. and makes a drunken scene at her friend Helen's wedding party. And I think it's a it's a good showcase for Chester Morris's talents. I thought he did yeah. a very good convincing job of being a drunk jerk. <laughs> yeah, he was he was awful at that wedding and you really didn't like him when he blew up. No, especially considering just the blatant hypocrisy at play. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
it's not great what she did, but it's a lot more understandable than what he first did. So it's just it be- it becomes a thing. Yeah, his thing is that oh no, now all my friends will be laughing at me, and that's a that's a point that she points out that you know she was hurt because she betrayed him and that hurt her feelings. He's upset because of his pride and how right. people will see him. Yeah. It's a very interesting look into this couple that's allegedly on equal footing. Try to reconcile the, you know, society they've grown up in that awards guys they're fooling around, but uh, crushes women with guilt for even considering doing the same. Yeah, it's um, it's a good portrayal. I think they actually did a pretty decent job of I mean, yeah. showing the disparity yes i agree i mean because i was pretty put off like oh they're gonna <laughs> show that it is all her fault blah 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 but it's not that's not quite what happens which i'm happy about mm-hmm. um he's thrown out of the wedding party and jerry follows him home where she finds him packing at first she begs his forgiveness you know the perfect contrite little wife but at his refusal to make amends, she soon lashes out at his hypocrisy. It states she will divorce him and live her life to the fullest. And I, uh, yeah, that's where I started to go like, yeah, you you don't take that. And apparently, you know, Joan Crawford was really bitter because this was one of the first roles that she was up for that Norma Shearer ended up getting. And it wouldn't be the first or the last time or it was the first time, not last time. And I do have to say, I can understand her frustration because I just, Norma Shear just is not completely right for the role of Jerry. Because I feel like at a moment like this, you need someone like Crawford who would say it loud and clear, like, screw you. You're being a hypocrite. I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a good time. Whereas Shearer has so much of the kind of hand wringing, uh, like, oh, I'm going to go out and live my life to the fullest. It's just not very convincing. Yeah, it's just, um, I can see what you're saying. It needed maybe a little bit more meanness and, uh, yeah. and determination. We get it. so many good mean actresses in this decade, like Crawford, like <laughs> Betty Davis, like Miriam Hopkins. And Norma Shearer just, I I feel like it's, you know, she a lot of sexism comes into play with people accusing her of only getting jobs because she was sleeping with a producer. But I, th- I hate to say it. I do think that carries some weight. She's not particularly charismatic. She's not the most talented actress in the world. It's just kind of like, I don't know. She just, She's not awful, but not you could all. find someone better. You could find someone better like Joe Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that she does. She does go out to live life to the fullest. And uh, she lives it in a whirlwind montage of lighthearted encounters with various lovers, uh, all in the backdrop of the New York nightlife scene. Uh, she's on a train to a work conference with a French with a French suitor when Paul finds her. Remember bland old Paul from the beginning? He confesses he still loves her, and she breaks down at the hollow life she's been living. He convinces her to join him on his boat. While there, he tells her that there's nothing left in the marriage with Dorothy and asks her to join him in Japan for five years, where his firm is sending him. I guess they're all a bunch of lawyers. It's never really. Yeah, international lawyers, apparently. That's jet-setting lifestyle, I guess. I guess so. 
She agrees, but Dorothy tracks her down just as Paul is coming to get her. And this is where I first learned that Dorothy was disfigured because, you know, they say so before she comes in and she wears it's pretty it's pretty creepy and sad. And she enters and never takes this black veil off her face. And you could kind of see through the veil. It's again, they didn't probably have the budget for makeup. So I don't think she had any kind of disfigurement on her face that they were hiding. Uh, But it is a pretty touching scene. She still loves Paul very much and comes to beg Jerry to not take Paul from her. But right before she can really explain this, Paul comes in to see Jerry and uh, Jerry watches as he says, no, look, Dorothy, the marriage is over. She's like, but you're all I have. And the scene just reminds Jerry too much of her own troubled marriage and of what started the troubled marriage was a woman coming in and and, uh, taking the man, which is what apparently Jerry sees herself now doing. Mm. So it's too much for her. And she tells Paul, no, you got to stay with your wife, which, you know, overall isn't healthy. If you don't love your spouse, don't stay with them. You're only hurting the both of you more. But I do admire Jerry for not wanting to be the the homewrecker, the homewrecker, the knife in the marriage is back, basically. And yeah, they they kind of dropped that thread. We don't know how Dorothy and Paul I mean, again, end up. Yeah, it's like it was a touching scene, but we just do not have much invested in Paul and Dorothy because they're in the beginning and then they kind of show up at the end here. And I think it's just, I guess, in contrast to Ted and Jerry, it's like two troubled marriages, but one has a lot more fun and energy and the other is just out of sad obligation. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Okay, so after Jerry has decided that she wants to go find Ted, whom she's decided that she still loves. So kind of this kind of confronting this marriage that she has just preserved kind of gets her thinking about her own previous marriage and how she feels about that. Uh, So that's when we cut back to Ted and figure out kind of what he's been doing. What's he been up to? He's been wasting his life away with booze, having lost his job. And uh, yeah, we, we meet him with uh, with Don, his good friend who has been gallivanting around in Europe all this time, having the time of his life. Yeah. Trying to avoid Ted. Yeah. And sees him in a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, he he runs into Don. And when Don asks Ted what uh, Ted would ever do if he found the man who cheated with Jerry, Ted says he'd kill him. And that convinces Don to get lost for good in one of the most hilarious scenes ever where (laughs) this man is dressed so finely with like top hat, whole nine yards. He's a sleazy birdie wooster, which you pointed out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he's like straight out of Woodhouse. He's my favorite character because he's just so unapologetically loathsome, but in a fun way. Yeah. And you see him as he's exiting the room away from Ted. He kind of like peeks around the corner to make sure that I guess that Ted's not following him with a knife or something. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I I just I just like how unabashedly sleazeball he is. I mean, because he's so because Montgomery still somehow makes him like likable. Yeah, despite him not having like any redeeming well, characteristics. And maybe that's it, because, you know, every character in this has their fatal flaws, but they also have so much pathos and conflict about it. It's almost kind of a relief to see someone who like owns his flaws is just like, yeah, I guess I'm a piece of piece of crap. What are you going to do? I'm going to Europe. Yeah, he also has my favorite line in the movie, which is when when 
Jerry is feeling really down, trying to get over what she's just learned about Janice and Ted sleeping together or having that fling. And she says, just take me somewhere. Let's just do something anywhere that's not here. And to which Don replies, okay, we'll go to all the places and do all the things. I love it. It is such, it's such like a modern line. And of course he's absolutely drunk when he says it, because I don't think Don is ever not drunk. So it just, it just adds to, he's definitely, I think a throwback to the kind of 1920s happy-go-lucky great Gatsby type character that was, you know, probably dying out at this point because of the depression, but they were clinging to him. Yeah, they sure were. Uh, Let's see. So let's conclude this movie. Let's do it. Jerry finally finds Ted in Paris at a New Year's party. She's taken a job in London and has been traveling to Paris trying to find Ted because that's where she's heard that he's been. Paris apparently is small enough, at least the nightlife is, that she eventually finds him. It's a very small clique of rich folks at this point. (laughs) And uh, at the New Year's party, she says that the new year can be a new way to for them to start again and says that she's still madly in love with them and Ted agrees to reconcile. But I need to back up a little bit here. He tells her that he's heard about her and Paul and he kind of wishes her the best and says like, I hope he gives you, you know, a fair shake because I didn't. I do. I feel like the movie redeems itself a lot in this moment. In that one line. In that one line in that he owns that he screwed up. I was scared, you know, and I still think the movie is probably leaning on you should stick with your man. But it also says stick with your lady, too. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, at least less lopsided. Yeah, you get the sense that at least... At least Ted has to take some responsibility for what he did. Right. Right. So. And it, it makes it just feels better because it's like, OK, they're they both acted like total jackasses, but they both want to do better. So it makes sense that they fell for each other because they are very similar people. Yeah, they do have very similar personalities throughout, which I appreciated. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a rare example of this movie showing and not telling. You you just see it demonstrated that they're both, you know, kind of pig headed and stubborn, but also mad about each other and uh, enjoy a good time. Yeah. And Chester Morris, I think, at that time really shows some depth to his character. He does. He does. I really think that. Because, you know, I've seen him in two movies now, Alibi and then um, Mystery Science Theater's episode She Creature, where he plays uh, (laughs) the sleazy villainous uh, doctor. And I have to say, I think this is the best performance of the two. Uh, Yeah, you could see why he was, I guess, in demand at this point. Um, He ended up playing, I guess his most popular role was a repeated kind of serial of blackie a private investigator or something and i could see him doing well in that kind of role yeah 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 he shows i mean because up to this point he kind of strikes as this like high energy brash uh you know in a positive way in a negative way yes and you see him looking really dejected and down at this party but not just not exactly not just mopey or feeling sorry for himself, 
he shows some real resignation in this acknowledgement of, you know, I had this wife and I didn't give her a fair shake. Exactly. Yeah, I think that was really good. Um, so how does it all end? It ends, of course, with them reconciling and them kissing at the end, just as the new year gets rung in. Blah. So, yeah, quite quite the roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, I think that's what it was going for. Yeah, definitely. With, with varying degrees of success. I mean, and it is a formula that Betty Davis and Joan Crawford would perfect, I think, in future mm-hmm. movies. Like the there was a lot of like marriage dramas, I think, in the 30s with people trying to reconcile the image of the new woman who was uh, career driven and uh, still wanted a happy marriage. And sometimes the materials were completely sexist and sometimes they weren't entirely. But uh, so, yeah, I, I admire this movie for being one of the first of its kind, I guess. OK, so should we get into rating the movie now? I think we should. All right. So here we go. Category number one, acting. How did you feel the acting did? Um, You know, pretty good. Good. I mean, there nobody embarrassed themselves. I wouldn't say like Nigel or uh, the lady. Oh gosh, what was her name? Who played uh, uh, Dorothy? Uh, Helen Johnson. Johnson really lit up the screen. Uh, Norma Shearer was a bit miscast, but she. I mean, she did well. She did well. I mean, she won Best Actress. Uh, oh really? Yep. This she won Best Actress for this. Uh, although I do think that has to be just. One of the first examples of Hollywood just rewarding someone who had the courage to play against type. Um, I mean, but she she holds her own. She does well. And she's certainly not unattractive. She's not untalented. It's just you wish it had been someone with a little more fire, a little more presence. And mm-hmm. I, I'll say I think my favorite performance probably is Chester Morris's. So I'm going to give it. Seven. Seven? Yeah. Hmm. See, this is a hard one for me because it's kind of balancing out between Chester Morris's and uh, what's his name? Nigel. No, not Nigel. Um, Chester Morris and the guy who plays Don. Oh, Robert Montgomery. Yes. He's great. So we have those two on one end yeah. doing like a really stellar performance. You have uh, Nora Shear in the middle, I feel like. Yeah, that's fair. And then on the other end, you have poor Conrad Nagel and Helen Johnson, although she's not in the movie for very yeah, long. Yeah, it's hard to really tell the merits of her performance because she's just not given that much to do. <laughs> oh, and then there's the grumpy uh, housekeeper, too. Oh, yeah. Um, she does fine as a grumpy housekeeper. Yeah, it's a little bit stereotypical, but... Yeah, I mean, not much depth, but... I mean, it, this is just... It is such a rich person's movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have our other other comic relief character who is a guy who I'm not sure if he's actually foreign or if he's just doing a foreign imitation accent oh, he, for most of the movie. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be, I think, the kind of the class clown of the bunch and pretends to be like an Italian uh, organ grinder Um who chases Jerry around in the scene where they surprise them during their anniversary. I mean, he's okay, but yeah. you know, 
again, not really a lot of attention is paid to characters who aren't Ted and Jerry. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, yeah, what grade do you give it? Oh, gosh, you gave it a seven. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it a six. That's fair. Um, let's see. So moving on to category number two would be writing. How was the writing in this movie? I'm going to go ahead and say it was okay. It was okay. I mean, I thought there <laughs> were some good lines. Um, they packed a lot in, but it was a good pace. I Well, kind of. Uh, there were some scenes that kind of went on too long and were boring. Um, and there was, again, some of that repetitive dialogue that we've heard in a right. few of the early talkies. Um and then, like, characters like Jerry's dad is dropped, and we don't know what happens to him. And then Paul and Dorothy are just not sketched out at all. So I think I'd give it uh, five. Five? Yeah, I'll, I'll match your five. I think I think that works out about right. I feel better about this movie in retrospect than I did watching it, I have to say, because I remember being really bored. <laughs> Throughout. Yeah, I was about to say, like, you seem a little bit more positive about it. Today. I don't know what it is. I think maybe just knowing how it ended, I feel because I was kind of just dreading it throughout, knowing, oh, she's going to be put in her place. Uh, Ted isn't going to learn a thing, blah, blah, blah. But then I felt better once it actually ended and they both admitted their wrongdoings. Yeah, it redeemed itself a lot in the it last did. couple of minutes. Yeah, the last couple of minutes. I mean, was it perfect? No. Uh, but, you know. It, yeah. did, it, it did what it did. All right. So on to our next category, cinematography. How well was it shot? How interestingly was it shot? I thought it was pretty good, actually. I mean, uh, the whole disorienting uh, car crash, uh, little subtle lighting for when uh, uh, Jerry goes on her, uh, you know, journey into darkness with Dawn. He had the spooky mm. nightclub and then the curtain. So I'll give it a. I'll give it an eight. An eight. Wow. Um, I'm not going to give it quite that high, um, which might be a little bit unfair. I'm going to give it a little bit lower just because I didn't notice anything in particular. I mean, yeah, it was definitely more character driven than mm -hmm. artistically driven. <laughs> yeah, which is fine. Mm -hmm. And also just kind of the limitation of early sound. Yeah. I felt like we saw maybe a little bit more of that uh, than was than I would hope to see. Yeah. Um, still, they, they managed to be fairly dynamic with the camera and everything like that. They didn't do the whole stage play thing too much. They did a little bit. The but. Yeah, the hunting lodge scene definitely felt like this could be a play. But, yes. then they, but then they got outside that. I think, you know, going down the road with Paul drunk kind of was our first example of like, oh, this isn't just going to be our standard uh, soundstage production mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so did push the envelope a little bit i'm gonna go ahead and give it a six fair fair can't argue that i could try but where would that lead me nowhere good <laughs> all right and our last of the major rounds overall how well does the acting writing and cinematography work together to make an overall product you know, I mean, overall is what saves it, in my opinion, because like I said, it was kind of boring throughout. The pacing wasn't perfect, but I feel like it all culminates in something that didn't make me angry. So I, 
I I always say seven, but I think no, not seven. I'm not going to be that kind because it did have its flaws. I'll go six. Six. Okay. Um, hmm. Gosh, that's the thing. Like so, so much of this movie was so up and down. Yeah. There are some really good moments some really good acting examples. And then there are other ones that were just kind of lackluster. And there's a lot in between that was just kind of dull. Yes. I am therefore going to match your six, I believe. Okay. Very good. All right. I'm just tallying up as we go along. Uh, so now for the bonus round. <laughs> Costumes and set. Man, every movie in this decade is going to get like a five from me in this category. <laughs> just because this is just my, I love the art deco look and the ridiculous gowns. I mean, I have to say, I just love when Norma Shear does vamp it up and has her hair kind of more tussled and the gorgeous Scarlett O'Hara curtain looking dress she wears. Uh, I just, I just love it. And I love the decor of the apartments and the nightclubs and everything. It is, it is, it is my style. So five, five. Wow. A solid five. I am going to give it maybe not a five. I'm going to give it a four though. I'm going to give it high marks of a high amount of bonus points for, for costumes and set and mainly the costumes. Yeah. Uh, because it just it looked cool. It did look cool. <laughs> I mean, that's what I really sucks. You went to this uh, decade of film. It's just everyone looks so cool. I mean, and I think especially when we get actors like like Cary Grant in the mix, who takes a little more care with his suits. I mean, at this point, it mostly is for for the females to wear the flashy dresses, and all the guys are kind of uniform. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't worry, you you med folk will get your day in the sun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with with what we've got here. Yeah. Okay. So going on to our next bonus round category, boldness. Does this movie take risks? It does. I that that pay off. And yeah, I'm going to agree. I think it did. I think it did. I think I'm going to. Dare I give it a five? I think I would I would say that it's it was probably be fair if you want to give it a five. Yeah, I think it's a five. Both the protagonists cheat on each other and the woman is not really punished for it. She, uh, in fact, rebels against the punishment. She starts off, you know, begging and pleading with him not to go and then ends up like, screw you. I'm going to do what I do. And she does. And it's hollow for her. And she doesn't ultimately enjoy it. But she does not go back on her knees to seek Ted out. And Ted, yeah. I mean, Ted is kind of the whip dog, you feel like, in the end scene. Um, and that because she's very regal. I think that, you know, Norma Shearer's best acting moment is when she finds him because she's still very regal and dignified. She's not going to beg him. She's just going to tell him, hey, I'm still in love with you. We both made mistakes. So yeah. I, I think I think that was, that was very bold for the early 30s. What say you? I am going to go ahead and agree with you and give you. Mm-hmm. Give it that five. Um, I think it took a lot of risks just given the the topic of mm-hmm. divorce yeah. and cheating and just given the the uh, attitudes of the day. That was pretty big. And I think the way that they concluded it without either character just dying. 
Right. Or <laughs> because you feel like that would have been like it's silent film, especially the only appropriate outcome to uh, making such a huge fatal mistake as betraying your spouse uh, is when one of them would have to die. But no, it's just like this is kind of a mature modern movie mm-hmm. in which like we shouldn't have done that. Let's, yeah. let's start over. Why can't we just start over? Yeah, and they don't change who they are. Yeah, no, either. no. It's not like, and this time I won't go out and work. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah, is another thing that I was kind of waiting point. for. I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, because I mean, it would be so easy for them to have gone, and I'll be a real wife to you and stay home and cook. But they don't do that. And I, uh, I, I'm glad. I'm very glad. Yeah, I was bracing for that mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm was like, well, the whole problem here is that she's modern and that and that they're off going on business trips and things like that. And it doesn't. No. It puts the blame directly on the people making their decisions. Yeah, on the individual decision making. Yeah. Personal accountability. Who'd have thunk? Well, good job on that divorce, eh? Yeah. Full marks for boldness. Uh, I think this might be our first one to to do that. Maybe? I mean Maybe I think you might be right. I'll have to go back and check, but I think you might be right. Uh, let's see. So our next chance for bonus points is legacy. Well, um, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm just not familiar enough with this genre and the movies that follow. You might have a better idea about this. I mean, I think this was successful, obviously. And then we did see more marriage dramas in the 30s that I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this kind of started it off, I mean, it, I think it was a big deal to have a movie called The Divorcee and right. the, the novel, The Ex-Wife, that it was based on was huge scandal. And they, that's why they changed the title, actually. So it would be associated so much with the novel. Um, so, you know, I think I might give it a four for Legacy just for that. And I mean, I think this did open up more career opportunities for Norma Shearer in that she did prove she could play um more roles, although again, how much of that was her or Thalberg. Um so yeah, how about you? I'm gonna go ahead and match uh what you gave and also I mean that's partly because I trust you to know the legacy a little bit more on this one. <laughs> so many prime years of my life wasted watching marriage dramas from the thirties, what can I say? <laughs> but yeah, now that you mention it though, it's just like, oh yeah, this is like I, I know plays from that era. I know a couple of movies and based it, on that era. So And even outside this era, I mean, who knows? Would we have something like Terms of Endearment, uh Kramer mm. versus Kramer, had it not been for the success of the divorcee? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how how it succeeded. Yeah. I think and you know, I think that a lot of the stuff around this time was testing the waters because society mm-hmm. just had changed so much since uh, like World War One, when movies were first really starting to get made. Women had the vote. Uh, there was prohibition. Uh, the stock market crashed. So I think people were wondering just what do audiences want to see right now? And so they kind of threw a lot of stuff in here because I think we're getting a lot of variety of genres in this in this year. You know, we started off with Love Parade, which is a goofy musical. And now we have a more serious marriage drama. And uh, it, was, it makes me excited to see what else this year has to offer. 
yeah, it, I'm I'm feeling more optimistic as we go through this review. Yeah, actually. I know. Which is, again, I did not really enjoy this movie while I was watching it. So I'm surprised it is grading as high with me now. OK, so let's go on to our next bonus round category. Longevity. Uh, how well does this movie stand up over time? It really should have should have been better paced. And it should have probably had more dynamic actors than Shearer and Nigel. So, I mean, had Joan Crawford gotten the role, I think it would have had more of a lasting mm. impact on audiences. But as it is, probably a two. Probably a two? Yeah. I mean, again, it's so many leagues beyond something like in old Arizona of last year, but it's still, oh, goodness, yes. it was still kind of clunky in the pacing and uh, repetitive lines seemed to be the real flaw of early talkies was the bad pacing and the repetitive lines. They just hadn't hammered that out yet. They needed better screenwriters and they needed, I think better directors to make it a little zippier, which yeah. I think we're definitely going to see in the coming years. Yeah. Although this one was, this one was a lot better. I mean, about it, was, it. It was not two hours like Hollywood Review was. Let's give it that. <laughs> Wasn't two hours like Hollywood Review, and the dialogue just snapped together a whole lot better. It definitely had its moments. Yeah, yeah. not perfectly, no, but but better. Close, close. And I'm going to give it three points for longevity, just because I found it still engaging. Even the parts that were boring, I kind of like. I could see. I felt an attachment to this movie in ways that I didn't with an old Arizona just because of how aged old Arizona. Yes, felt. exactly. It's an antiquated and so offensive. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this is probably the most relatable we've watched so far because, you know, it's not like Sunrise where, you know, the guy cheats on his wife and then decides to kill her. It's yeah. just like it's like more of a realistic depiction about how a marriage breaks down and how they might reconcile. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a thwarted murder attempt to bring uh, spouses together again. It's just time apart and character reflection, which yeah. is refreshing. Yeah, that that was nice. So. All right. I gave it a three for longevity. Let's move on to our very last okay. bonus round points. Technical. Uh I mean, nothing truly outstanding. Um, yeah, the sound I mean, worked well. I mean, yeah, the sound definitely worked well. Probably, you know, again, better. I think each film just gets better at it. Yeah. Um, I, I do wish there had been more, like, kind of incidental music throughout. Uh, it does have, in some spots, kind of more of a staged feel just because there's no real soundtrack. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it a two. I am going to match your two. I think that, you know, they set up some good soundstage situations. They got mm -hmm. their they got their sound worked out. Um, I'm docking at some points for that kind of goofy driving scene. Oh, just, yeah. just in case they weren't doing that to reflect him being drunk. Uh, <laughs> Maybe if it was just them not really knowing how to portray that's almost definitely the background. Yeah. Because, <laughs> man, it was swervy all over the place. Yeah, they just... Mm. I mean, it was it was bold. That's why they got five for bold. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let me just tally up the last of this here. Do, 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 do. 
And I believe we have an 85. Hey, not bad. Not bad, Divorcee. Let me check where that puts it. That puts it... <laughs> that puts it ahead of Wings. Oh, grading on a curve, folks. And it is sunrise. not better. It is not better than Wings or Sunrise. Like... It, it isn't. And I feel like that was actually something that I was going to talk to you about before is these last couple of ones. I really do feel like we're feeling the effects of, well, also should point out this includes technical, which true, we didn't even have true. that category before, but that's only four points. It still would have beaten wings. Gosh, that's crazy. And I think part of it is that we're still reeling from 1928, 29. That was a tough year, guys. Yeah. My, we'll, we'll try to be yeah. more critical, maybe. My sister, your wife, was, you know, evil enough to admit that she actually enjoyed enjoys this better when we don't like the movie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm sure we're going to have more of that. It's inevitable. There's so many years and so many times the best movie of the year does not win best picture. But, yeah, I think we are just kind of... Because I want to like these movies, you know? Right, absolutely. And so I was so disappointed by what we got in the uh, 1928, 1929 years. So it is leagues beyond Any of those. Yeah, that's true. Any of those. But I think it's going to actually take a few years before we feel the same kind of rush we did with the Wings or Seventh Heaven. Yeah. So those were the pinnacle of silent film. That's true. And we're just starting out in talkies. So these are the best is yet to come. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. For sure. And speaking of the best of the best, our last question is, will we nominate the divorcee for the prestigious Notsker Award, movie award podcast, movie award for movies? Yes. 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 You're giving it a yes. I'm giving it a yes. So I don't think you would have given that right after you watched it. No, but I think, you know, I have a short attention span, so it might be <laughs> that I was exaggerating the boringness of it. But I think if it had ended on more of a sour note with her saying, like, I'm going to quit work and be the wife you deserve. I'd have probably just you drop kicked it out of the room. But I think it is a good sign of where the movies were going, embracing independent, ballsy women. Obviously, they weren't going to do a perfect job of it, um, but a move in the right direction. We're going to see really fascinating female characters going forward. And uh, I think this is I just can't help but feel somewhat warmly towards this movie because I feel like it's it's a beginning of that trend. Do you nominate it? I'm going to go ahead and follow you and also nominate it. Okay. Um, I did not assume that that was going to happen when we first started recording, but I think just during this conversation, it's, it's high points stay in your mind more mm-hmm. than the low points. And yes. also it, we've had a pretty engaging conversation about it, which is. That's always, it's, it's food for sign. thought. You know, I feel like a movie doesn't have to necessarily hit all the marks or be as good as it could be to be interesting and to inspire good conversation and to be worthy of looking into. And I feel like this is a movie that would be worth watching. Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be worth discussing. I can't say that for an old Arizona. 
I think there, I can almost see it for Hollywood Review and just that it was such a gathering of all these great talents mm-hmm. in this fiasco. So that's interesting. Um, but, and I definitely think it's, I mean, the love parade was fun, but it's not, it did not try for as many things. It actually failed in the marriage drama. It did exactly what I was afraid this movie was going to do. Right. It, right. it made her the strong woman, a simpering mess. And only when she admits what a simpering mess she is, does a man say, okay, little woman. Going forward, I'm in charge. So I appreciate that the divorcee didn't do that. Yeah, it was just more real. It was more real. It definitely felt more real. So, yeah, I do feel a lot better about it than I did. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's that's the, the tagline. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, you summarized, I feel, a lot of good outlook yeah. about about this movie and the whole podcast. And if you've enjoyed this podcast... Please recommend it to your friends. Oh, that's such a smooth segue, Jason. I know. Isn't it? This is a slam dunk right there. Uh, you can contact us uh, by email at comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us via Twitter at comebackastar. And uh, our Facebook page is up technically. And is not really getting used. It's so if you want to be the first person who dives in there and just starts talking about how we're wrong about everything or how we're the most insightful podcasters you've ever heard. I prefer that. We'd prefer that. Um, but we're open. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're open to criticism. Um, give us a review on iTunes. That's also a huge help. Yeah. Uh, five stars would be preferable, but it's also just good to get feedback, positive and negative. Yeah. We can learn. Yeah. And uh, special thanks to everyone out there who's been supporting us, family, friends, other podcasts. Thank you much. Uh, And I think that is our episode for today. Do you have anything else? Uh, All I can say is I think that these two kids can work things out. I think so, too. Uh. All right, everybody. You take care and goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.